Blade Runner, 1982, directed by Ridley Scott. While there are many versions of Blade Runner, the version I chose to watch is the 1993 director's cut, so keep that in mind. Any unresolved questions in here, I'm hoping that you'll uh, let me know about. How much work does a man have to do to enjoy a film? Apparently, it's a lot of goddamned work because Ridley Scott thinks that we can handle it. No wonder Warner Brothers had the film recut before release. Even the director's cut has things that don't fit together the way they should. It's one of the great science fictions of all time, Blade Runner is, but I still don't see how the director meant to get so much across in so little time. Let's start with the prologue. It's childish to say that a film that requires reading is flawed, but I'm inclined to believe that prologues are unnecessary. A good script can fill the necessary background much more organically and much more dramatically than any text scroll. Unfortunately for Blade Runner, we need that scroll. The film doesn't hold our hand, we're left to sound the characters and fathom their motivations for ourselves. Okay, so far so good. Exposition comes organically through conversation, and the audience understands the world of the film by looking at it. For most of the time, anyway. We understand more about the Los Angeles of 2019 by seeing it and seeing the people who live there, rather than by hearing people talk about it. So why the prologue? The filmmakers had enough faith in the audience to allow them to draw their own conclusions from the film. However, when the movie starts, it's like Ridley Scott is saying, Okay, we put a lot of effort into this movie, but we didn't get enough time to make sure that the world was really fully fleshed out, so here's some text to help you catch up before we get started. In such a carefully constructed film, a prologue is a cheap way to fill the audience in, but we need it, ultimately, because Blade Runner plays it so close to the chest that the most basic information about the film's world had to be laid out in advance. Speaking of exposition, the film has a strange habit of repeating itself, in the first act anyway, and in one case, it forgets a huge detail. The strangest thing that this movie does is, believe it or not, it loses count of its replicants. The replicants, of course, are the synthetic human beings that uh, Harrison Ford, uh, Deckard, the Blade Runner of our uh, title, is trying to hunt down. Captain Bryant, his superior, explains that six replicants hopped a shuttle and landed on Earth. Three men and three women. One got electrocuted by accident, so that leaves five. Roy, the leader, played by Rutger Hauer. Leon, who we see in the opening scene of the film. Sora, the murder bot. Pris, the robo-hooker. And... No one else. Never mind, there were only five. We messed up. It's a crazy detail to overlook, and yes, it's a minor flaw, but in a film that depends so much upon inferences and dialogue, it's amazing that it could have gotten at into any cut, let alone the director's cut. Remember when you were six? You and your brother snuck into an empty building through a basement window? You were going to play doctor? He showed you his, and when it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? You ever tell anybody that? 
Your mother, Tyrell, anybody? Huh? You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window? Orange body, green legs. Watched her build a web all summer. Then one day there's a big egg in it. The egg hatched. The egg hatched? Yeah. And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. Implants. Those aren't your memories. They're somebody else's. They're Tyrell's nieces. The first act is a strange set of being cut together to cover up the vagueness of the script. Flaws aside, Blade Runner is a work of genius. Rarely has a futuristic world felt so real, and what better way to explore a futuristic dystopia than through the lens of film noir? It's sheer genius. One of the tropes of film noir detective stories is that the main character investigates his way through all strata of society. Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, as I mentioned previously, gets a glimpse into the lives of the rich through his visits to Dr. Tyrell and the nightclub. He journeys deep into the marketplaces where synthetic animals are bought and sold. A great concept in an urban world. I mean, where are the animals? Eventually, you have to make them. And Deckard himself lives down in the streets most of the time with the rest of Los Angeles's lower classes. We get a pretty complete picture of this society, which, in classic film noir style, shows the disparity between the wealthy and the poor, a vision of the future which seems all too inevitable. The world of Blade Runner is crowded and grimy, with grays and browns saturating the entire screen. Nothing feels organic. Nothing is green except for the neon lights that illuminate storefronts and restaurants. Giant billboard screens and obnoxious advertising blimps zoom overhead. It's overcrowded down at the ground level so that even the blaring messages advertising space in the off-world colony sounds inviting. This is a pessimistic future, and what is film noir if not pessimistic? Rucker Hauer gives the best performance of the film, and one that must have seemed daunting to pull off. He had to seem emotionally erratic while being sympathetic at the same time. I've come to believe that the best villains aren't just menacing or powerful. They need to have a message, for lack of a better word. Some kind of lesson that they're seeking to spread. Something bigger than themselves. Roy's willing to do anything to extend his lifespan. That's his initial goal. But the audience can sympathize with it. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. When he finally realizes that he can't succeed, what he does is even more interesting. He seeks to educate Deckard in the harshest way possible about what his life of slavery has been like. And he lets Deckard live, not out of pity or humanity even, but simply to leave a witness. Someone who's experienced the marvel that is Roy Batty, who will carry the memory long after the man, or should I say the replicant, is dead. Still, to me, Blade Runner seems like it's only two-thirds of the way here. 
It guards its secrets too well. It leaves unresolved lines and ideas. And it's full of characters who don't play a part in the story. At least to me, anyway. Maybe watching the final cut would solve some of these problems. And I do intend to do just that. Still, maybe there's something to be said for a film that isn't about the action. Maybe there's something to be said about a film that doesn't ask its ethical questions out loud. Is a film worth its special effects when it eschews explosions for urban vistas and gigantic Coca-Cola ads? Is it worth it to dive deeper into something which one knows is incomplete? That's a personal question, though. One that hopefully generates a proper emotional response. Do you love me? I love you. You trust me? this tiny little bit yeah we're gonna add something onto this blade runner thing because there's something about blade runner that is really important to discuss we were talking about this just just a moment ago it's yeah like, let's call this an addendum but it's an, an appendix if you will all yeah. right there's this whole controversy or this whole debate around blade runner the reason i didn't bring it up is because i didn't want to look too much into blade runner before i formed my own opinion so okay. I, I i didn't bring it up in 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 what i was talking about but there's this whole debate about whether Deckard is is or is not a replicant. Yeah, that's been one I, of the major things over the course of many years. Yeah, I, I've known a little bit about this because I'm slightly familiar with Blade Runner. But the reason I did not mention this in my review just now is because it wasn't even a factor in the movie for me. <laughs> I There is so nothing all five, to me. So all five times you watched it... You never thought that this was an issue that, even that, in the subtext, comes up. No, because what about with like some of the dialogue that he has with, with Sean uh, Young? Yeah, like with like some she, of the things about like his emotions and like how she, he's relating she asked, to her. Like two, she asked like two questions to him. Uh, she asks him like, "Have you ever retired a human by mistake?" And this never gets brought up again. Like, it's supposed to be, it, it, they're like, it feels like they're setting something up. And then she asks another question. He's like, did you ever, have you ever tried that, the Voight-Kampf test? That's the big thing where, where they try to find out if you're a replicant or yeah, not. Yeah, that, that's, that's a, I love that scene so much. I love much. that opening scene. Just, just, be, just because, I actually showed that as an aside, I showed that in a film class just to demonstrate, like, lighting. Yeah. Because I feel like that's such a brilliantly lit scene. Right. But, yeah, I mean, that's supposed to be the scene to test of your replicant, of course. He's giving it to Sean Young, who we can guess is a replicant. Right. Well, we we, we know that. We, <laughs> he straight up tells us in the next scene that she's a replicant. But, yeah. like, but then Sean Young, she's in his apartment. She's talking to him, like, have you ever taken that test yourself? And, like, is this setting anything up? And ultimately, no, because it never comes up again. So you think it might be just... Do you think it's a flaw in storytelling? As I said in what as I was talking about this film Blade Runner holds its secret it plays it so close to the chest. 
It's, as I said, it's not holding your hand, and it's not going to give you anything. Which is fine. Which is fine. But from a story selling you have to give us something eventually. If it was important that Deckard was a replicant, it would have to come up somewhere. Hmm. At the end, and it doesn't make a difference if he's a replicant or not. What what bearing does that have on the ending of this film? I guess it's the idea of... Uh, um, is he like... Well, I guess part of the idea with being a replicant at all in the first place is you're mimicking a lot of human responses and human behavior, but how human are you? What kind of choices are you making that are actually from your humanity, or is it part of something that's closer to mimicry? Yeah, but I never have a scene where Deckard questions his own humanity. I never see a scene where the the thought even crosses his mind. Yeah, I'm I, wondering, I, a lot of people bring up this dream scene involving a unicorn. You know, on the back of the cover for the director's cut, which I had, Yeah, I read it on the back and it said... And it mentions the dream scene, because that apparently was put in in the director's cut. Yeah, that was and cut out of the theatrical version. Yeah, and it was saying, this, the 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 dream sequence, which implies that, that Deckard is a humanoid. And I'm like, wait a minute, is that... And I thought that that meant <laughs> that, that, like, it means that he's human. But humanoid? Yeah, hmm. that's, that doesn't... That's odd. And I'm like, and so the DVD cover saying to me is saying this suggests that he's human. Meanwhile, I look at it. I looked at one thing that, on the internet that was. You sent me a video. Yeah. Did you get to watch it? I did watch the video. And the nerd like, writer is a great critic. So. Yeah. And and it's like, oh no, th this scene suggests that he's a replicant. How does it suggest that he's a replicant? Hmm. And if it does, I ne certainly didn't pick up on it. So to me, the entire question of whether Deckard is a replicant or not doesn't even enter into the film yeah like i guess your point is that even if it's there it doesn't really add that much to the whole plot but i feel like roy batty what he brings up is meant to kind of you know bring something else to the the conversation the fact that how so well i mean his whole speech about i've seen all of these things you know the the firefights on so and so right. things uh, you know, but they'll all be gone, like tears in the rain. Time to, like I feel like that's sort of like him pouring out that maybe this line between being human and replicant is so thin well, that you can't really, you know, why are you going to kill this replicant for being a quote replicant if he's basic if it's basically a human being? Yeah, I mean that's the whole point of the film. Like, how? Uh... What is the essential difference between a replicant and a human? And ultimately, this film basically says there is no difference. And and Roy is not only finally accepting his mortality, but he's kind of celebrating his own brief existence. Yeah. You know, the light that burns twice as bright. But And, you know, and he says, you know, I may only have lived four years, but I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Yeah. I've seen shit that will turn your hair white. <laughs> 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 All right. So the point is, though, you know what, though? I think this would be a great thing if you are one of those people who has seen Blade Runner and wonders, you know, what's up with all this Deckard replicant stuff? Why are people talking about it on the Internet? I know the answer. Please send us an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com or message us on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know what you think, and we'll try to parse this out the next time we record. Sound good? 
Sounds great. All right, and when we come back, we'll give you more wages and more cinema. It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does?